already. I'm talking about anger this morning, okay? Hey, do me a favor. I hope you did get a bulletin this morning because inside of that, I want you to pull out. Hopefully, there is a piece of string inside of that bulletin. Would you mind pulling that out? I want to start the message this morning with an illustration that has really impacted me throughout my life. I shared this about 13 years ago, and, and I felt like it really would be a great way for us to enter in uh, to this section of Ephesians. Uh, Chuck talked about it. We're continuing to make our way as a church family uh, through Ephesians. So here's how this goes. There was one time, true story, Chuck Swindoll tells this story. There was a man, a tourist, an American tourist, making his way through India. And he came upon this little village where there were some shops. And at these shops, there was a shopkeeper selling quail, like the bird's quail. And he noticed something interesting about these quail. These quail were all tied up by a little piece of string, just like the one you have in your hand, to a stake. And they were walking around in a circle, and there were eight of them. This shopkeeper was going to sell each of these quail. Well, this American tourist, he didn't like this so much. He loved animals, so he decided he's going to buy all eight of these quail. So he asked the shopkeeper how much to buy all eight quail. The shopkeeper named his price. He willingly paid the price, and the tourist said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut those quail free and let them go. I don't even want them. So the shopkeeper's like, fine, I don't care. I've already gotten my money. He takes a pair of scissors and he cuts all eight of the string of these quail. And what do you think happened? They kept walking around that stake in a circle. Well, this frustrated the tourist, so he did what, you know, what your kids sometimes do at the park. You know, he went up and tried to rustle up the quail. And sure enough, they took off. They began to fly only to land about 20 feet away and resume walking around in a circle in an imaginary stake. I think about that story, and I think about those of us who are in Christ. And I think about this verse in Galatians 5.1, really the verse that Chuck and Jenny were singing about. Look at this on the screen. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's why he came, so we could live free lives. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You see, much like the quail in that story, every one of us who is in Christ, if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, you have been set free. But isn't it true that we sometimes find ourselves going back to the stakes in our lives that keep us walking in circles? Last week, Pastor Jeff explained why this is in Ephesians four seventeen through 24. And honestly, if you missed last week, I can't encourage you enough, if you're a regular part of this church family, to go back and listen to that because it really sets up this entire section of Ephesians that we're about to enter into. But let me give you a quick review because I just, I can't emphasize enough how important this whole concept is to living out the Christian faith. In verse 17 of chapter 4, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers who they were before they met Christ. And in essence, he says they were separated from God and were living lives, if you were here, you remember, that were leading down this downward spiral to sin. Think about the quail, right? Walking around in endless circles with no hope in sight. And then Jesus came into their lives and he cut the string, so to speak. He set them free from this downward, hopeless spiral. And if you are in Christ here this morning, that is true of you as well. You have been set free. 
In fact, if you were here last spring, that's really what the first three chapters of Ephesians is all about, isn't it? It's talking about the freedom we now enjoy by being in Christ Jesus. We were given a whole new identity. We have been set free in order to live free. We are no longer tied down to the stakes of sin and death that held us in their grasp. We are free to be made who he has made us to be and who has God made us to be. I mean, why did he set you free in the first place? The answer to that was found in the very last verse of last week's message. Verse 24 reads, we have been created, we've been set free to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Catch that. If you are a Christian, You have been set free in order to become like Christ. He didn't just snip the string for you to get a free ticket to heaven. He has a purpose in mind for your life and for my life. And that purpose is to be transformed and conformed more and more into the likeness of his son. And we have been learning in this section of Ephesians that if that's what he has done for us, if that's my identity, I have a role and a responsibility to live that out. I have a responsibility to live out this gift God has given. But the truth is, just like that quail, isn't it true that we find ourselves going back to the stake? Does that frustrate you about the Christian life? It does me. When I first came into a relationship with Christ, I honestly thought something magical was going to take place and I would no longer struggle with the same sins that I struggled with. I thought he would just remove that from me. He'd cut the string and I'd fly 500 miles or whatever. But I realized very quickly that's not exactly what happened. Oftentimes, just like those quail, I would fly free for a little bit, but I'd only make it about 20 feet, and I'd go right back to that stake. I'd go right back to walking in the same circles that kept me in bondage. But here is the difference, and I want you to hear this this morning. I didn't have to anymore. Before I met Christ, I didn't know what freedom was. I was tied to the stake, but now I have been placed in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have been set free. And so, if that is you, you do not have to go back to the stakes. You don't have to go back to the string and walking around in those endless circles. As we know, this does not make us better than anybody. Because this is all by God's gift of grace to us. Amen? But the point is... I have been set free, and you have too, if you are in Christ, in order to live out God's desire for us, which is to become like Jesus. And that's what we're talking about in this section of Ephesians. We're talking about our role in this whole idea of living out the free life. That's why in verse 22, Paul says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. What is he talking about? He's saying, don't go back to all those things that tie you down to the stake of bondage. Put those things off. Live the free life. If you were here, you remember Jeff put on that dirty coat, right? Jesus has taken that dirty coat off of us. Why would we want to go back and put it on? And yet, I find myself doing it again and again and again. But my role in my life with Jesus is that I don't have to do that anymore. And I want to learn each and every day how to fly a little bit farther and a little bit more free. 
And as we saw, this is done first by being renewed in the spirit of our minds. you remember that from last week if you were here? I mean, this is so fundamental to what it means if we really want to change as Christians. We must renew our minds. Jeff explained how this is the key to any change you hope to see in your life. Renewing my mind means when I come up against those things that want to put me right back in bondage, I remember, here's what I do. I don't know what renewing your mind means from you. Here's what I do. Because there's still things I struggle with. When I renew my mind, I say, that's no longer who I am. That is not my identity in Christ. That is not who he has made me to be. I renew my mind by putting my, on my new self in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as this. Because that is no longer who I am, that is no longer who I have to be. That is no longer how I have to act. I don't have to keep walking around in a circle. God has given me everything I need to live the life he has called me to live. Let me just give you an example. Because you're like, wow, these are some pretty abstract thoughts. And they can be. So take the example of cheating. It's not one of the things we're going to go into uh, in the book of Ephesians here. So let's just take the example of cheating. The reason I don't cheat anymore isn't just because cheating is bad. That's where a lot of people end up in the Christian life. I don't do these things because I want to be moral. Willpower and moral fortitude will never get you anywhere when it comes to change. The reason I don't cheat anymore is because I have renewed my mind about cheating because that is no longer who I am. I do not need to cheat on that test in order to prove myself. I am already loved and accepted by my Father. I know that's true in Ephesians chapter 2, right? I renew my mind about cheating and say, I am not going back to the stake of cheating. Why would I want to get tied back down into that circle? Listen, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but this, in my opinion, is where so many Christians get so discouraged. We think we can live this life by willpower or just by trying harder. Think about those quail. Do you think they could have freed themselves if they tried really, really, really hard? No. They needed somebody to come in from the outside in order to set them free. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. I, no matter how hard I try, I can't set myself free. But Jesus has come to set me free. And now he has given me everything I need in this new identity, in this new person. To never go back to the things that kept me in bondage. But here we come to the rub. And this is why I'm spending so much time on this introduction this morning. This is the question that every Christian, every follower of Jesus must answer. And they got to answer it truthfully. I think this is the question of American Christianity, to be honest with you. Do you really believe that the life Christ has called you to live is the most freeing life possible? Let me say that a little bit more simply. Do you believe that obedience equals freedom? The truth is many don't believe this. They believe that freedom is found by going back to those stakes. In fact, when we come to this section of the Bible, and they're all over, it's all over the Bible, right? God gives us these rules and directives to live by, to follow. A lot of people think, oh, here we go, here come the rules. I knew it. I knew it. This was going to make my life so much more boring, so much more restricting. God's the one trying to tie me down to the stake. But I want you to renew your minds about this, friends. 
Honestly, if I could get you to believe one thing, the church of Cherry Hills, if I could just come into your mind and get you to believe one thing, it would simply be this. These are not simply rules to follow. These are not God's idea of being a diehard party pooper type of person in our lives. God really has your best interest in mind. And the reason he has given us the verses we're going to look at and, and the others, the Ten Commandments, all these things, the reasons he's given us these directives to live by is because he knows this is where true freedom is found. We have a good, good father. That is who he is. We just sang that together this morning. Is that your picture of God when we come to this section of the Bible? He's a good father. And the reason he is going to spend time talking about some of these areas in my life that I need to put off is because he wants me to experience freedom. So, we come to a section in Ephesians where Paul is going to start getting very specific about the things that keep us from experiencing freedom. These are the things he wants us to put off in our life. And listen, all I'm saying is, if you come to this section of the Bible or any section of the Bible that starts dealing with this stuff and your attitude is, I'm doing these things just because God says so, you will get nowhere. But if you start to do these things because you believe in your heart you have a loving Father whose intention for you is to live the best possible life, then you are going to be free to be free. Unless that's how you approach these parts of the Bible, I will tell you from personal experience, you will become a very cold, moral, legalistic, unapproachable person, which, to be honest with you, is just another stake, even a worse one. So again, I'm sorry I'm spending so much time on this, hammering this home, but here's the point. This isn't like when you were a kid and you asked your parents why they, want that, why they were making you follow some certain rule. What was their all answer to that? This was so frustrating. Because I said so. Because I said so. God isn't just saying, because I said so, don't cheat, or we're going to look at lying, or other, other things like that. It's not just because I said so, it's because I love you. It's because I have set you free in order to be free. I have your best life in mind here. These rules are here so we can experience freedom. In fact, here's what I want you to notice as we work our way through just four verses this morning. God is going to tell us what to put off. He's going to tell us what to replace that with, what to put on. And he's going to tell us why. Don't you love that? He's going to tell us why these things keep us from living the free life he has called us to live. So as we go through this section, look for those three things. Without further ado, why don't you take your Bible and open it to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Verse 25. And again, if you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you in the seat in front of you. You can find this on page 815. I know I just spoke a lot, so why don't we uh, just take a moment of just quiet, to quiet our hearts, to quiet our minds, and let's let God's word speak to us here. Let me pray with us. Lord, we say it again, not just as lip service, but you are a good, good father. That is who you are, and we are loved by you. That is who we are. And it is for that reason that you have given us these portions of Scripture. You have set us free so that we can live free. I pray that we would renew our minds this morning about these sections of Scripture. 
That we'd see these not as restrictions or things that keep us in bondage, but these are the things that really help us to live the life that you've called us to live. The best life possible. Go before us now and speak to each one of us in each individual seat. Help us to see your word for us this morning. By your grace, we pray. Amen. Well, let's look at the first thing Paul encourages the believer to put off and put on instead. Let's read verse 25 on our notes there out loud. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. What are we supposed to put off? In your own words? Lying. Falsehood. Paul says lying is one of the things that will immediately tie us right back down to the stake. There's a famous proverb that I've enjoyed throughout my life. I'm going to read this kind of slow. It says, a man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. <laughs> That's true, and it's exactly what lying does. Isn't it true? Lying is like one of those total slippery slope sins. If I tell one lie, pretty soon I have to tell another lie in order to keep up that first lie, and pretty soon my pants are split. I'm juggling all these balls in the air, and I'm no longer like just one person. I'm going two different directions in my life. In fact, if you were here last week, you remember the famous saying that says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay. Just substitute the word lying there. It's a perfect example of that. Lying will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I have seen again and again and again. People sitting in my office who I am counseling. The damage and destruction that lying can have. Problem is, we are immersed. We don't even know it. We are immersed in a culture that just oozes with deception. It's all around us. In fact, here's what's so scary to me about lying, and we're going to get to stealing. I think they're a little bit similar today. They've sort of just become normal in our society. We don't even necessarily notice them anymore. Or at the very least, when we're talking about the top ten lists of bad sins, lying, it's kind of there down at the bottom, right? But, it, but it's everywhere. There are mild forms of lying that we've just gotten used to. Things like stretching the truth, not telling the whole story. White lies, staying silent when we should speak. Think about that. That's a form of lie. If I know God is telling me to say something and I choose not to, I'm not speaking the truth. Plagiarism, flattery, telling people what they want to hear instead of what they should hear. All of those fall in this category of falsehood. Of course, there are major forms of lying as well. At its very heart, I would say to you, adultery is lying. It is breaking a promise that we gave before God to our spouse. It's breaking that. It's lying. Now, what's scary, like I said, is it's kind of become normal to lie. I was thinking about this. Every time I drive down the street, I am bombarded with lies on billboards. Isn't the whole advertising industry based on a lie? If you buy this, your life will be fully satisfied. Sadly, I buy that lie too often in my life. Lies are everywhere. That's just the point I'm trying to make here. They're everywhere. But Paul's word to the believer is, don't tie yourself down to that stake. Because that will only keep you in bondage. Don't put on that dirty coat. Instead, what are we to put on? 
Truth-telling. Truth-telling. Speak the truth. Why? Because Jesus said, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Nothing will tie you down to the stake faster than lying, but nothing will set you free faster than telling the truth. In fact, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, This might just be my own thoughts, but it kind of scared me. Jesus once called Satan the father of what? Lies. And so when I choose to lie, when I choose to go back to that stake, when I tie myself up to that little piece of string called lying, in many ways what I'm doing is I'm taking off my identity as a child of the God who is all truth. Like if I'm in Christ, I'm a part of the family and God is a God of all truth. And instead I'm putting on the, becoming a family member, so to speak, of the father of all lies. Now, I just want you to, again, think about how different this, is, different this is than just moral fortitude. Just saying, I'm not going to lie because lying is bad. That's what we do here. That's not what we're talking about. It's not just don't lie because lying is bad. I mean, that's true, but the Christian motivation is, I'm not going to lie because that's not who I am. I am in Christ. And Christ is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we need to put off lying because that's not who we are. Now, does this mean that not lying or telling the truth will always be easy? No way. I learned this very early on in my Christian life. I've shared this story before, but a buddy of mine and I, after school every day, we would collect trash together and we would build this big pile of paper because our whole goal was to have a bonfire in this little forest area behind our house. And one day we found a box of matches and we thought we had struck gold. And he takes the first match and nothing happens. I get the second match and sure enough, it lights on fire. And I pour pour it on this pile that we've been collecting for like six months. And it lights this great bonfire. And we thought, oh, this is the greatest day ever until the tree that we had this up against started catching on fire too. So at that point, he and I are starting to put this this fire out. Uh, We're trying to pour sand on it, but it's getting way too hot to handle. And my buddy takes off. Me, being the Christian of the two of us, stayed and kept trying to put the the fire out. Now, I didn't tell you one part of the story. This fire took place, and there were some brand new homes that had just been built about 20 yards away. And so I'm freaking out, right? At this point, though, it's getting way too hot. But thank the Lord, there was a woman who happened to be home at this time, walked out on her back porch. She saw what was happening, called the fire department. Everything was fine. We only burned down like a couple trees. But here's the point. Here's when I learned that telling the truth can sometimes cost us. It can sometimes be hard. As I'm trying to leave, I hear this woman's voice from her deck say, Hey, who are you? And I knew as a Christian I'm not supposed to lie. And so I turned around and I said, My name is Stephen Patsia and I live at 111-106 Lane. (laughs) 30 minutes later, there's a knock on our door. The policemen are there. The fire trucks are there. Thankfully, everything had been kept under control. Now, there have been other times in my life when I haven't chosen to tell the truth. And you know what? I will say to you in all honesty, I would rather have the consequences that took place for me telling the truth in that instance than the guilty conscience of the times in my life when I have chosen not to. My pants have been split plenty of times, and that is worse That is worse than the consequences that telling the truth can have. The truth truly does set us free, even if there's a cost at times. Now, I find this part interesting. What reason did Paul give us to not lie and to put on truth-telling? Remember, Paul doesn't just say, because I said so. What's the reason he gave us? 
Do you see it? It's because we are members of one body. We've been talking a lot about this in the book of Ephesians, right? As fellow believers, what took place the moment you trusted Christ? You were placed into a family with others. We became one body under the headship and authority of Jesus Christ. And Paul is suggesting that one thing that can damage our body or the fellowship that we share with one another quicker than anything else is speaking falsehood to each other. Think of it this way. Inside of your body, you have a bunch of things called nerves, and your nerves send true messages to your brain, yeah? So at the moment of that fire, when I'm sitting there, my nerves are sending me a message telling me, this is hot. You need to go. Now, what would happen if my nerves started sending me false messages to my body? Like, this is cold. You can touch that. We wouldn't be long for this world, would we? If our body started lying to us, we wouldn't be long for this world. And Paul is saying in a similar form, when we start lying to one another as the body of Christ, it's just going to turn into dysfunction. It's going to cause damage among us. So listen, the reason we tell the truth as Christians is that's who you are. We are a part of the body of Christ who is the truth and the life and the way. We are members of one another. So why do we not lie? Because it will break our fellowship with each other. And it will break our fellowship with God. Second thing we are told to put off is what I will just call unjust or unrighteous anger. Look at verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, you might find this interesting, but in Greek, and I'm, I'm not joking here, the actual translation of verse 26 reads, Be angry. Just don't sin in your anger. Be angry. But don't let your anger turn into sin. There are many people who teach that any kind of anger is wrong. That's just not true. You can read in Scripture, does, does God sometimes get angry? Jesus uh, got angry when the temple was being used for the wrong kind of purposes, right? When people were keeping others who wanted to come and worship God. He got angry about that. Understand this, if you are becoming like Christ, which according to verse 24 is God's goal for you, there will be moments in your life when you will become angry. In fact, righteous anger is a sign of spiritual health. If there is wrong going on in the world around you and it doesn't anger you a little bit, and there's something wrong going on in your heart. If we are created in God's image and God is a just God, when we see unjust things taking place, it should anger us. So, even this last week, I got angry a few times. Justly, I think. I got angry when I read this story that took place in Oregon, right? These shootings that are so senseless that are taking place more and more. Does that make you angry? I, I get angry when I hear leaders of Planned Parenthood being interviewed talking about how they sell body parts of babies in order to make a profit. Does that make you angry? It makes me angry. I, I get angry every time I see somebody who is the least of these, the helpless in our society who are getting stepped upon, abused. That should make us angry. We're created in God's image and we cry out for justice as God's people. I, I got angry yesterday. I'm watching my son play soccer and a kid on another team decides to step on purposely one of his teammates. That makes me angry. Am I wrong to be angry? 
I, I don't think I am, but here's the problem with anger. Even in the examples I just gave is that it can be very, very, very difficult for us as human beings to practice a truly righteous anger because our emotions are tainted by sin and we don't have all the knowledge that God has about any situation. My emotions are tainted by sin. This is why some people describe anger like a knife's edge. Have you ever heard that before? Anger is like a knife's edge. You, you walk along this edge, but it's very easy to take your righteous anger and to fall off the edge into unrighteous anger. And how do I know when that's happened in my life? It's what Paul said. It's when my anger turns into sin. What kind of sin can anger lead us to? Oh, my goodness. Let me just think of the examples in my own life. Pride. Rage. Judgmentalism. Sarcasm. Can you think of any others? Self-righteousness? Selfishness? I, that's just a few. So let me give you that example of the kid stomping on my son. Or it wasn't my son, it was a teammate of his. At that moment, I'm walking on the knife's edge. I got angry at that situation. How could that have turned into sin? If I start screaming at that other boy. If I start getting raged at his parents or, or, or whatever. And so at that moment... I realize I'm, I'm rightly angered, but now I have to do something about my anger. And what do we do with our anger? What are we to put on instead of unrighteous anger? Paul puts it this way. He says, let, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. If I could just use one word, I would say put on peace. Become a peacemaker instead. The kind of anger that comes from a selfish motivation where I am usually trying to control other people... It, like, if, when you think about anger, all we're trying to do when it turns into sin is control somebody else. That's what anger is. I'm trying to power up on somebody in order to control them. We're told to put that kind of stuff off and instead become people of peace and diffuse these situations. A peacemaker is someone who doesn't let the sun go down before dealing with his or her anger. A peacemaker doesn't let righteous anger lead to sin. A peacemaker deals with his or her anger in the right way. Otherwise, we're told, it will be like a wound that begins to fester and build up pus and begin to corrupt the whole body. You like that image? I want you to think about it every time. Every time you come up against anger. This is going to corrupt me. Some have used this verse uh, for wedding ceremonies, right? In your anger, do not sin, don't let the sun go down. In fact, on Friday, some of us were at a wedding where this was one of the vows that the couple gave one another. We vow that we won't let the sun go down in our anger. And I say, that's a great idea in a, for, a, for a married couple, but it's good for all of our relationships. If you can do something about your anger, deal with it immediately. Otherwise, it'll just become like that wound that begins to take over your whole body, and it will lead you to sin. It will lead you to things like bitterness. It will lead you to rage, to sarcasm, to judgmentalism, to prejudice. Deal with your anger as soon as you can. Now, again, I'll, I'll take the same example I've been using. That doesn't mean in my anger that I should go up to that kid after the game and be like, I was really angry with you, so I just want to make sure you and I are on the same page here about that. No. It means at that moment, I deal with it by taking it to God. I say, Lord, I really want to yell at this kid right now. But I don't want to tie myself down to that stake. 
Do I do that 100 times out of 100? <laughs> no. No. Yesterday, God set me free in one instance. Now, what reason does Paul give for putting off unrighteous anger and putting on peacemaking? Did you see it in verse 27? This one's kind of scary. Anger can give the devil a foothold in our lives. The Greek word for foothold, what an interesting word Paul uses, is a position usable as a base for further advance. Any of you familiar with rock climbing? This summer, our family got to go to camping in Yosemite, which is one of the most famous places to rock climb in the whole world. In fact, there's a famous mountain there called El Capitan. I think we got a picture of it. People actually like to rock climb this. Can you believe that? There are a lot of people who do it without even any ropes. Crazy people. Now, let me ask you something. Could you rock climb El Capitan in one step? No, it takes thousands of what is called footholds. Handholds for you to make steady progress until you finally reach your goal. What an image Paul has given us for anger. Every time I let anger lead me into sin, I'm giving Satan just one little foothold. And he'll take it. And then he'll take another one. And another one. And another one. Now listen, Satan can't do anything that we don't let him do to us as believers. But Paul is telling us that anger is one of the things that can give Satan room in your life. So I don't know about you, but I don't need any other reason to put off unjust anger and to put on becoming a person of peace. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. That is my identity. I do not want my identity to be taken over by him. Third thing Paul tells us to put off is found in verse 28. Can we read that out loud together? It says... Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So again, let's use our formula. For the person renewing their minds in Christ, what do we put off? Stealing. Like lying, stealing has become an epidemic in our country. And it's not really thought of a big deal anymore. For example, this is true. A recent paper given at an American Psychological Association symposium, say that four times fast, broke down the $8 billion that are lost at department and chain stores every year. Can you imagine $8 billion? Of those losses, they discovered that 10% were due to clerical error. In other words, 10% of that $8 billion just because of honest mistakes. 30% to shoplifting but a staggering 60% to theft by employees. That's like, what was that, $16 million a day. Theft is a major problem in our land, and like lying, it can come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. We can steal from an employer when we're not giving him or her our best work, or we're spending more time on the computer, or we're leaving work early, so on and so forth. If we are in business, we can steal from our customers for overcharging them for the services we rendered. We can steal when we're pretending that the product we're selling is better than it is. We steal when we borrow from somebody and never repay them. We steal by damaging another person's reputation. You know, gossip at its heart is just stealing. It's stealing somebody's reputation from them. We steal from ourselves when we waste our time and talents and resources. We steal from the government when we don't pay the taxes that we owe the IRS. It reminds me of the guy who wrote a check for $150 to the IRS and inside he enclosed a note that said, I haven't been able to sleep at night because I haven't paid everything that I owe this year on my income taxes, so here's a check for $150. P.S. 
If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. (laughs) Falsifying cost overruns is an act of stealing. Listen, we steal from our children when we spend time that we could be spending with them going like this or staying late at work. Or I can give more and more examples. Scariest of all, we steal from God when we fail to give him the worship that he deserves. You can read about that in Malachi 1. The new person in Christ is to put off those things. And interestingly enough, what did Paul tell us to put on? Anybody? Work. Hard work. Paul elevates work here. Why work? Well, in many ways here, the difference between the non-Christian and Christian perspective is most evident. For Paul doesn't say, as some secular thinkers say, work hard to build self-esteem or work hard so that you can afford to buy the things in order to enjoy life. He says work hard. Why? In order to be able to give more to those who need it. I think the greatest witness we could make as people who have been set free is to become givers with all God has given us. After all, isn't that the example Jesus set by his work on the cross? He gave us the ultimate gift, and he is calling us as we're being transformed in his image to do the same, to become givers. So put off stealing, put on hard work. Why? So that you can become like Jesus and give your life away. So let's sum this up. Put off lying. Put on truth-telling because we don't want to destroy the fellowship that God has created with one another and with him. Put off unjust anger and put on peacemaking because anger can give place to the devil in our lives. And finally, put off stealing and put on hard work because the goal of life is to become like Christ who gave his life for you. Lying, anger, stealing, three things that can keep us tied down to the stake. As I close this morning, I'm conscious of the fact, I thought about, well, what's the application? Here's the one thing you need to do, and I couldn't ever possibly do that because all of us uh, struggle with these things to all kinds of different degrees, right? Uh, Some of us struggle more with lying than we do with stealing and so forth and so on. So here's what we're going to do, and this is something we've been practicing together as a church family the last several weeks. What we're going to do is we're going to allow the personal God, the Holy Spirit of God, who is in every believer. We learned about this last spring, right? God has given us his spirit to examine our lives in a time of reflection and silence and prayer. Now, if this whole concept is intimidating or scary or new to you, uh, it really is nothing new. In Psalm 139, David would write these words, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All we're doing is giving space for God to search us. And to know us and to point out things that we may be blind to, to stakes that we are tied down to. So I'm going to ask if uh, I think Eric is going to come out here in a minute here. And uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little exercise. And I just want to explain something to you. If this is new to you, if you've never done this, uh, here's an easy way for you to let God search you. Every time I prepare a message, every time uh, that I read the Bible even. I ask myself two questions, and these are on your notes there somewhere. Here's the two questions you can just ask yourself during this time. What does God want me to know? Not what does he want your husband to know? 
or my neighbor to know or the person in front of me to know? What does God want me to know about lying? And you spend some time giving him some space in, in your life, in your heart. What does he want me to know about anger in my life? And what does he want me to know about stealing? Write it down. Make it specific. It's not going to be some general thing. He's going to show you something in your life that you maybe need to make right. And that leads to the second part. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So the second question to ask, of course, is what does God want me to do about it? If lying is the thing I know he's pointing out in my life, what's my first step? God, what's my first step? If anger is something I just can't control, what are you wanting me to do about that? If I've been stealing, how do I make it right? So let me pray for you. Maybe it'd be helpful to pull that string out again. Because again, this isn't intended for us to feel condemned. Do you remember what it is about? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he wants you to live the free life. So let me pray for you as you enter into this time. Lord, we thank you that you are a personal God. There is no one-size-fits-all this morning. Each of us struggle in our own ways in these areas. Each of us know that these are things that keep us from living the life you've called us to live. So we open up our hearts to you now. Would you search us? Would you examine us? Would you show us the things we need to see and know? And will you encourage us to do something? in your power, in your strength about it. This is an act of freedom, not an act of bondage. So let us enter into that with that mindset. We renew our minds about even a process like this. We are not condemned. We are loved. And it's because we are loved that you reveal these things to us. Show us now, Lord, in your grace.